Very nice to be here. I've been hearing about this church for some time now. Uh, Alan Kirchen and Jackie, I've known them for 25 years. And uh, I, met, I met Alan before meeting Jackie, of course, but I met Alan in 1992. I was his team leader in Youth with a Mission back in the early 90s. And um, we went on and were a part of uh, an evangelism team. At the time, it was called Go Teams. And what we would do is um, we, we had a small team of um, there was four or five of us and we had some drama presentations, gospel presentations that we would do through little act, acts and drama, that kind of thing, theatre productions. We'd go into high schools. And, uh, and so this was how I got to know Alan in ministry in YWAM many, many years ago. And it's, it's a testament what God can do through someone, what God has done in Alan Kirchen's life. I testify as a, someone who's known him for many years that Alan Kirchen is proof that God exists. <laughs> He's got a great story and I'm sure you've heard about it. And it's also been wonderful to become good friends with Jackie as well. And um, so that's my history uh, 25, 30 years in mission. Uh, currently, I am the Australian Director of 30 Days Muslim Prayer Focus. Excuse me. Can I get someone to give me a cup of water? I've got some ghouly thing going on in my throat. I've um, <clears throat> been in ministry now for about 30 years, but the last 15 years I've had a focus to Muslims, uh, Islamic focus ministry. And um, that's taken me around the world. We did various projects in Iran and Brunei and Egypt, but predominantly in Australia. What I do is coordinate the body of Christ in the country to pray for Muslims during Ramadan. Who doesn't know what Ramadan is? Thank you so much. Yeah, that's good. Thank you. It's the, um, it's the time that Muslims fast uh, once a year, every year. And they go 30 days um, without food or drink from sunrise to sunset. They still get a good feed in the morning and a good feed at night. It's just during those daylight hours they don't eat or drink. So what I have done is, uh, with an international team, we coordinate what's called the prayer event, 30 days of prayer. So we make a booklet, and it's in production right now, where we uh, have 30 topics to get Christians praying for Muslims around the world during Ramadan. So day one of Ramadan, we might have Christians praying for Cairo. Day two of Ramadan, it might be the Uyghur people of China. So we, we have about 30, well, we have 30 topics coinciding each day of Ramadan. So we've been doing that. Well, I've been doing that for about 15 years. And it's good. And... There's so much going on. I was thinking, like, when Alan asked me to come down and share with you, I had to think about it. Because I'm thinking, you know, there's so much drama going on in the world right now. And I'm thinking, you know, what, what could I possibly bring to this church here in Lismore? You know, like, the, this morning I woke up. I don't know if you heard the news this morning. But North Korea 
has just threatened Australia with a nuclear weapon if we continue to show support to the United States. You know, it's, the, the world's gone to pot. We've got terrorist attacks happening in Europe. We've got the North Korea issue. We've got our own internal things happening in our own country and the direction of our country. And, and I was thinking about during the week, what, what could I possibly, what could I bring to the church here in Lismore that's contextual? You know, there's a lot of stuff going on around the world. And I just feel like God impressed on me this morning to just increase your faith, to let you know that God is doing wonderful things all around the world. And God wants to do good things right here in your own community. And I just had this sense that this is what God wanted to bring this morning, to lift your faith. And nothing lifts our faith better than a couple of good stories. Who loves a good story? I love a good story, and uh, and I want to I want to share a couple of stories with you that I hope might give you some context on how this church, though may have humble beginnings, you will be surprised by what God will do with humble beginnings, and that's the nature of God. Um, Alan, you might know, lived in India. Alan and Jackie lived in India. I lived in India too. I had an opportunity to live in India. And I met a guy there. Uh, his name was Frank and he's from Germany. And as we lived in India and got to know Frank, he told us a little bit about his life story and his purpose. And I'm going to tell you Frank's story and it will blow your mind. So Frank, from Germany, back in the, it would have been back in the 50s, he was 18 years of age. Who's 18 in here? Who's within two or three years of 18? There we go. Yeah, up the back there. <laughs> Frank is a young man of 18 in Germany. And he felt like God had told him to go to India as an 18-year-old. Now, he had no church backing. He had no counsel. No one got into his life and told him what he should or shouldn't do. He didn't have um, these support structures like we do now when people go into mission. Frank just decided as an 18-year-old because he felt like God told him to go to India, to go to India. So you know what Frank did? He's told us this story. Frank gets a bicycle, a 1950s bicycle, (laughs) and he straps on the back of it, two suitcases. And Frank cycles from Germany to central India. That's a, that's a monster effort. Now, uh, you know, as he's telling us this story, I'm thinking of the story of Abraham, you know, Genesis 12, where, where God said to Abraham, go to a country um, where I will bless you. And, well, let's just look at that verse so I don't... Um, get the exact verses wrong. In Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 3, and it says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country 
and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you and I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing and I will bless those who bless you and the one who curses you, I will curse. And in you, all the families on the earth will be blessed. And the context of that verse, Abraham, I'm going to relate it back to Frank, but Abraham, he, he, was, he was raised in this place called the Ur of the Chaldeans, which is modern-day Iraq. There was no knowledge of God. There was no evidence that Abraham, any real knowledge of God. It was, a, it was like a, an, a place of animism, and they worshipped spirits and rocks or monuments or whatever. So that's the context of Abraham, and this voice comes, and it says, I want you to... Go forth from your relatives and from your... And that's all he's familiar with. And what does he do? He goes. And in fact, if we're reading um, in Hebrews 11, it talks about him going to a place that he did not know. So he's been instructed to go somewhere that he doesn't know to do something that he's not quite sure about by someone he's never met. Talk about an obscure... A crazy thing to do. But the story is we know, he goes on to do that. And I relate that to Frank, where Frank's just been told to strap two suitcases on his bike and cycle to India. So he does that. It took him months, as you can imagine. So he arrives in India, and he arrived in this place in the centre of India called Nagpur. And he said, well, God, what do you want me to do now? Now, he, on his way to India, he didn't know why he was even meant to be going. Could you imagine that now? Just for a second, just take a break and just think, God's told you to go somewhere, but you don't know what it is that he has for you to do, but you just know that you're meant to go. How do you explain that to your friends? <laughs> They'll think you're stuck raving mad. But he goes. He arrives to India. And he says to God, well, what do you want me to do now? And he said, well, look around. What do you see? And he noticed that there was a lot of homelessness in India back in the 50s, 60s. And so he took it upon himself to recognise the need. The need that he saw in front of him right at that moment was to take care of homeless children. And so he put up a canvas tent. He purchased a canvas tent from somewhere. He put up a canvas tent and he looked after homeless boys in this obscure town in central India, put them in a tent where they were dry and he fed them. Now, stop again for a second. Imagine a bloke doing that now. Could you imagine, <laughs> you see here, some single guy who's decided to take young boys off the street and look after them in a tent. You know, do you imagine the drama that would go down with that? Well, anyway, putting that aside, that didn't happen. The tent got full very quickly. And he thought, well, I can't keep him in a tent anymore. So he had to find some money to start renting a three-bedroom house. And he found the money. Well, no sooner had he got a home to put kids in this little, this little place... The numbers swelled again. Now this story goes on and on and on. This continued 
for years and years and years. Today, Frank has an orphanage of 1,500 boys. It's internationally recognised. He gets honoured by political leaders in his own in, in India for what he did. And this is all because he did something absurd 50 years ago. And, you know, there's something to be said in just doing the next thing that God tells you what to do. And, and I think that's the case for this church. God has established this church here in Lismore for a reason. And I don't think it's necessarily God's going to reveal his 50-year plan on what things will look like, you know. But you just don't know what God's got in store for this little church in Lismore right now. Everything has to start somewhere, and this is where it is right now. Alan's been telling me about your new building. You're doing the next thing that you're meant to do. And that's awesome. And I just wanted to encourage you, Daniel, you and your lovely wife leading youth. I'll tell you something, and I'm convinced of this. The secret of church growth is through the youth group. You know, when I, I, I celebrate my 30 years of salvation now, April, April 1987, I came to faith. I got baptised in a um, church of Christ in Wagga Wagga, New South Wales. And I come from a completely unchurched background. My, my first experience of church was April 1987. I'd never stepped in a church up until that point. Now, I've got no doubt there are hundreds of kids in the Lismore region that have never stepped inside a local church. I'm absolutely convinced of that. Just, and that could be relayed anywhere in the country, I think. We, we're a fairly unreligious bunch of people, us Aussies. Um, and anyway, I, I come from a country town of, of 100 people in central west New South Wales. I found myself in Wagga Wagga. I got involved in the church. And I'll never forget the night, it was a Friday night when I stepped into the youth group in the Wagga Church of Christ. And there was like 80 kids going mental on a Friday night. And I thought, man, this is my tribe. I found my tribe. And this is what kids want. Kids want to find a tribe. We all have that innate desire to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. And... That youth group was a catalyst of seeing a lot of people come to faith. And how many have you got in your youth? About half a dozen? Ten? Something like that? Mate, praise God. Praise God. And don't be discouraged by that, Daniel, honestly, because it's just everything has to start somewhere. And you just don't know where God is going to take this, you know. And um, so I just felt like... That was just a good inspiring story to tell you about um, Frank in Germany. But I've got another story I want to tell you. And it's about doing the next thing that God asks you to do, even though you may not really know why God has asked you to do it or what it's going to turn into. Uh, I have this ministry with Muslims and... Uh, I've got to tell this story. I tell it as much as I possibly can. But I was 
I was led into Iran. About 10 years ago, I took a, a group of people into Iran. And I just had this sense, this sense from God that he wanted to, um, he wanted to, he wanted to sort of connect us foreigners with the underground church that was in Iran. Now, we'd been hearing about this underground church of Iran for a long time, but it was a bit of a mystery, a little bit, a bit like the ark. You know, you hear about it, but does it really exist? Anyway, so we took a team of people over to Iran to look for the underground church. Now, if you know anything about Iran, the Islamic Republic of Iran, it's really illegal to have a church in Iran. It's just not cool. It's not the done thing. So we've gone over there to look for this underground church. And my ad- Now, Tehran, the capital of Iran, is 20 million people. And this is the, someone gave me an address to find the underground church. And this is what the address said. North Tehran. <laughs> that was the address. You go to North Tehran and, you know, it's just, the city's the size of Australia, for goodness sake. And my job is to find a church that's probably smaller than this building. Uh, anyway, so we've gone over there as an act of faith to look for the underground church of Iran. And I've got this team of people and we got there in February and Tehran gets a lot of snow in February. So as an act of faith, we settled into our hotel for a couple of days, got ourselves sorted. When we were ready, we said, right, we're on the hunt. So we jumped on a subway, went to the north of Tehran, got off the train and we started walking. Such a stupid idea. When you think about it, it's absurd. How am I going to find the underground church? Anyway, So we're just making our presence known in this city. We're getting to know people. We're out in the snow walking the streets of Tehran. After four hours of just getting familiar with the city, I'm starting to doubt the very reason why I even came to this flippin' place. I just thought, what am I thinking? I had this sense from God that we're meant to go to Iran, but I'm starting to realise it was a really dumb idea. And so I pulled the team to the side of the road and Tehran is a mad city. It's like downtown Brisbane at midday on steroids. You know, it's just absolutely chock-a-block full of people and it's crazy. Anyway, we're standing on the side of the road and I say to the team, listen... Maybe wandering the streets of Tehran is not a good strategy in finding the underground church. So look, what do you say that we may make our way back to the hotel and we just reevaluate what we want to do here in the city because, to be honest, I feel like I'm wasting my time. I was feeling... I had this sense from God to go to Tehran to find this church, to connect with them. But it wasn't happening. While we're standing on the side of the road, a taxi pulls up. The window gets wound down. And this guy, who must have been in his mid-40s, he sticks his head out the window and he goes, Hello. He had really bad English. (laughs) What are you doing here? (laughs) What am I going to tell him? What do you think I'm going to tell a Muslim, an Iranian, who's just wound the window down, 
And I said to him, well, we're tourists. You know, we're the only white people in this entire city as far as I know. Oh, we're tourists. And he said to us, get in the car. There's five of us. Now, you're downtown Iran. Some stranger pulls up. Wind the window down. They tell you to get in the car. What would you do? Well, I weighed it up. I looked at it and I thought, there's five of us. There's one of him. What is he going to do? So we got in the car. I thought if he tries anything, man, I'll get him by in the headlock. You can get him by the legs. You give him a swift kick there where the sun doesn't shine. We'll have it all sorted. Don't worry. Five of us against one of him. He's got no chance. So I said, let's get in the car. As an act of faith, I got in the car under his instruction. So we're sitting in the car and he turns around and he looks at us. And he's looking at me. And he goes, so why are you here in Iran? And I thought... Well, it's a fair question. I said, well, we're here to enjoy your country and to meet new friends <laughs> with the underground church. <laughs> and there was a pause. And he says, what community are you looking for? And I thought, oh, my Lord. He knows why we're here. He's going to take us to the police. They're going to put us in court, they're going to take us out to the forest, they're going to hang us from trees. Like I had all these visions of calamity. The way he asked the question, it just sounded sinister. What community are you looking for? What am I going to say? We're looking for all these Muslim converts, you know, which is really illegal. And we didn't answer the question, so we pressed. What community are you looking for? And before I had a chance to respond a little smile appeared in his face and he says are you Christians I'm a Christian are you looking for the underground church I take you to the underground church oh my goodness gracious me we were like high-fiving in the back of the car yeah 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 anyway he took us home had lunch with him and his family they were Muslim they'd all converted to Christianity that night he took us to the underground church. And this is the underground church. We went downtown Tehran, right in the, in the heart of the city. And there was a building, probably um, this foyer, or this room and the foyer in there, if you could chop out that wall, just a little bit bigger than this room. And it had two levels. And he's taken us in and he's taken us up a little flight of stairs and you know what, we looked down, uh, we looked down from up in the top balcony, and you know what we saw? We saw about 300 people with their hands in the air singing Hillsong in Farsi. <laughs> that was the underground church. And it was just the most, everyone wearing veils, you know, everyone wore veils there, but all these people... That was an act of faith. We just did the next thing that we felt that we were meant to do, whatever that was. And even though we had our doubts about it, we just did the next thing that we were meant to do, and that's where God led us. Now, from that connection, we were able to connect with associates of the church and distribute evangelical material over six years. We did that. And we believe something like five 
Oh, it was about 5,000 people were able to get a gospel presentation through a CD from that connection. Over several years we had some projects. But it all took an act of faith of just doing the next thing. And we didn't know where it would lead or what it would what would unfold. We just did the next thing. And that's the word for the church here. Just do the next thing you feel you're meant to do. But I even want to break that down individually. Just, you know, does anyone watch Sky News here? I've been watching this week. Um, there's, there's, a, there's a news presenter called Andrew Bolt. People familiar with Andrew Bolt? Andrew Bolt is an agnostic. He doesn't... He doesn't have any particular faith. Well, he has got no faith, actually. But oddly enough, he's a, he's a great defender of Christianity. And he had on there this week an Anglican minister by the name of Mark Jury. He's from Melbourne. And Mark Jury is a missionary to Muslims. Uh, he's an apologist. Um, he does a lot of work in the Islamic community. He's a scholar. But the topic between Andrew Bolt and Mark Drury was about the demise of Christianity in the West. And Andrew Bolt, who is agnostic, who doesn't even profess faith, was lamenting and, and actually feeling sad about the demise of Christianity here in the Western world. And so this was the topic. And it was frustrating to watch because... I don't quite see it that way, to be honest. You know, God is doing a lot of great things. You know, in Iran, for example, uh, they believe since 1992, more Muslims have become Christian in that country than in the previous 1,000 years. And some people reckon as many as 3 to 4 million Iranians have become Christian. Just last week, we heard about the Coptic Church in Egypt, got blown up and 45 people were killed. And it was an awful thing that took place. Just yesterday I received a report that um, there's, a, there's a TV show in Egypt that's a little bit like um, Oprah. All right? Just, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a broad brush, but it's the closest thing that I can, I can compare it to. So there's a guy in Egypt that runs a program. It's a, it's a daytime talk program. And they had on there family members of those that were killed in the terrorist attack in the Coptic church. And I've been in that church. And the, the, the relatives of those that were killed, these Coptics, just said that they forgave the killers and there was just this outpouring of grace from the Coptic Christians towards the terrorist. And the Muslim presenter, his eyes started to well because from an Islamic point of view, that kind of grace and forgiveness doesn't exist. And, you know, the testimony of this Coptic Christian and the response that they had to the terrorist attack, it has aroused such interest in Egypt about Christianity that is unprecedented. And the talk in Egypt right now is, who are these cops, these people that have such grace? And there's been this 
interest, you know, this wonderful shift among the Muslim community in Egypt towards things of Christian spirituality. And God will use these things for his own glory, you know. Um, Indonesia, you know, we, uh, we partner with a group in Indonesia and tens of thousands of Muslims are converting to Christianity every year. We never hear about this stuff. And at all, all of this, is the, the catalyst of all this stuff is people who are just willing to do the next thing that they're meant to do. Um, the, the, the grace of God, the, the, the goodness of God, we are it. We are, the, we are the physical representation of Christ in Lismore or on the Gold Coast or in Brisbane. We are his hands and his feet. And, and you know, the word grace, you know what the word grace means? The, from, the, from the Greek, the word grace comes from the word charis. And it literally means I rejoice in the presence of. And so my question to you as a church, and it's a question for Christians in general, is that how does the non-Christian feel in your presence? Do they rejoice in your presence? That's, that's our job. Our job as Christians is to be the grace of God, the goodness of God in people's lives. That's, that's, that's all it is. And from that, we get opportunities to share the love of Christ with them. But it's just been the goodness and the grace of God. What, what do people celebrate when, they, when they're in our presence? Do they love our company? And I just want to end with that, that I just have this sense that although it's a, it's a new day with this church, it's a humble beginnings, I'm excited about what God has in store for this church, what he wants to do with the youth. I remember Hillsong being a church of 28 people. 28 people, Hillsong Church. I remember that. Now look at it. You know, they met in a hall like this in Sydney. It's crazy. You just don't know where God will take you or it's just, it's a, it's a wonderful journey that we're on. So I do hope that with this and your new, when do you, do you know when you go in your new building? Still, still part of the plan? No, that's all right. Just do the next thing that God wants you to do. Just the next thing. But not only as a church, even individually. What's the next thing that God wants you to do at work? It might be the most, you'll get this sense from God. Should I do that? Maybe I shouldn't do that. You've got all these doubts. You know what? Just do it anyway. <laughs> just see what happens. Because I just think God wants to use us in a really powerful way, not just corporately, but even individually, like he did with Frank. God, we just commit this time to you, and we thank you for what you've done in our own life and the plans that you have for us as a church. And I just ask that you would continue to lead us corporately and individually into your perfect and good will. We ask, God, that you would... Give us the eye of an eagle to be able to see danger or you uh, warn us where to go and where not to go. 
God, I pray that you would increase our faith and how to be uh, your grace, um, your hands and your feet in this town and the surrounding districts. God, we pray for divine appointments with youth. We ask that you would um, bless Daniel and the work that he's doing there with with um, connecting young people with spirituality and and goodness and church life. We ask for all your blessings, God, and just praying Jesus' name for your protection over us. And, yeah, God, we just thank you for what you've done. Uh, you died on a cross for us so we could pass this life on to others. We commit this time to you, God, and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.